Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So the 60-40 has been a benchmark for so many decades. People have been calling for its demise for a while, and it, it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going until we got to this year. And now like, it's really the whole thing is being kind of called into question at this point. Welcome to the Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast from MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. And I'm Charles Passy, a reporter at MarketWatch. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest. For many years, the 60-40 portfolio has been a core investment strategy. You put 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, and the theory is your risk is covered. It's the go-to plan for many traditional investors. Those are typically investors who buy assets to own long-term, as opposed to being active traders who might be willing to take on more risk in the hopes of more immediate returns. So the 60-40 has been a benchmark for so many decades, dating back to the 1950s, because of the fact that bonds and stocks were supposed to intended to work opposite of each other. Vivian Lu Chen is a reporter at MarketWatch. Whenever stocks were falling off, then bonds were supposed to do better. So 60-40 was almost uh, like kind of the perfect combination if you were a moderate risk kind of investor, which the vast majority of people are moderate risk kind of people. The conventional logic goes, if you're young, you have time, so you can start out investing in a more aggressive portfolio. That could mean 80% stocks, 20% bonds, if you're comfortable with taking more risk for more potential upside. Someone who is close to or already retired doesn't have time to ride out a market dip. That person would want to take less risk, so fewer stocks, more bonds. But recently, doubts have been surfacing about this common wisdom. It did well for a while, for a very long time actually, even up until, I would say, I think last year it was still doing okay. People had been calling for its demise for a while, and it, it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going until we got to this year, and now like, it's really the whole thing is being kind of called into question at this point. What's changed? For one thing? Inflation. <laughs> inflation. That's it. That's all you got to know. We're in a kind of a, I would call it maybe a bad inflation environment, and both stocks and bonds take a hit. You'd normally expect a period of inflation to lower consumer confidence and hurt the stock market as companies see their profits fall. And bonds suffer because when the inflation rate rises, the real rate of return on bonds goes down. That means both sides of your portfolio, both sides of the approaches that you thought were going to get you through, like to retirement age, they're both taking a hit at the same time. The idea behind 6040 goes all the way back to the 1950s, when Nobel Prize-winning economist Harry Markowitz developed modern portfolio theory. The theory encouraged diversifying investment to spread risk. The 6040 concept was popularized in a 2002 article by economist and historian Peter Bernstein. He was a legendary investor and also wrote a number of books for the general public about investing. That's Wade Fow, a professor of retirement income at the American College of Financial Services. He says a key to the 60-40 model is trying to get the highest return based on how much risk you're willing to take. 
the question becomes, you know, how much do you want to reduce volatility? I do know Harry Markowitz has mentioned before that he likes the idea of 50-50 stocks and bonds to minimize his regret. That if stocks do well, you regret not being 100% stocks. If stocks do poorly, you regret not being 0% stocks. So how do you have the least amount of regret? But generally, for those who do have some comfort with the idea of stocks growing over time, you know, 60-40 tilts you a little bit more in the direction of growth. And ultimately, I think that's how it evolved as a default asset allocation choice for individuals. So what exactly goes into a 60-40 portfolio? While there's no single formula, Fow says that for the stock portion, a lot of financial advisors favor the S&P 500 index and U.S. Treasuries for the bond side. And then on the bond side, when you test historical spending strategies, it's usually the intermediate term U.S. government bonds that hit the sweet spot between having a little bit more yield than shorter term treasuries, but also not as volatile as longer term bonds or as corporate bonds and so forth. As we've heard, the current economic landscape plus inflation is making investors doubt that 6040 is the workhorse that many have come to rely on. We haven't seen the stock and bond market down at the same time since 1994 when the Fed was aggressively raising rates. That's Scott Tyrus, president of Tyrus Wealth Management. He says we're looking at the same pattern now. Since the Fed is raising rates and anticipation of that, the bond market has not done well. So the, the negative correlation we typically see between stocks and bonds has not been there. Negative correlation, as in when one goes up, the other goes down. Going by 60-40, you hope that your stocks, the 60%, are going to do well. But if the market declines, the value of your bonds, the 40%, increases enough to protect you from some of the stock losses. From 2000 until, let's say, 2016, stocks decline and then bonds will rally, performing that kind of hedging function. What we noticed, even before the returns that investors have had to endure you know, this year in 2022, what we notice is that the big drivers of that period of negative correlation, that period where bonds really did work as a hedge, was likely coming to an end. That's Jared Woodard, the head of the Research Investment Committee at Bank of America Global Research. He says the problem was that even before inflation hit the market last year, stocks and bonds weren't performing as expected. When we looked at the longer run returns to stocks and bonds, what we found a very different picture. What we found is that the correlation between stocks and bonds has for many periods in U.S. economic history has been positive, which means in any given week or month or, or year, there are many occasions when equities decline in value and, and bonds decline in value as well. You know, in other words, the opposite of the kind of hedging function that people maybe were hoping for. And given how widespread this kind of asset allocation approach has been, we thought it'd be really worthwhile to, to kind of sound the alarm. That's because rising inflation is cooling the bond market. Bonds are popular because they provide people with a relatively small but reliable stream of interest payments. But when inflation jumps and interest payments don't rise as fast, that eats into investors' interest income, and that makes bonds less attractive. Woodard thinks the 60-40 ratio might still be right for the traditional investor, but what's in the mix is what's important. He says we need to consider both risk and opportunity. It's always worth thinking about what you're giving up when you make these investment decisions. That perceived safety comes at a cost. When you put more allocation into fixed income and out of equities, 
you know, you're avoiding the risk of that volatility in the equity market, of course, but you're taking on a different kind of risk that people had, I think, ignored to a large extent during that bull market in bonds for 30 years, which was the risk of, of interest rate exposure and the risk of, of, of rising inflation. While some people are now questioning whether it makes sense to stick with the old standard, Professor Fao is not ready to give up on 60-40 forever. I certainly think at some point, or even now, 60-40 can still make sense. I don't necessarily think the concept is lost forever. Around 1980, we would see articles about how the stock market is dead. And then, of course, after about 1982, the stock market has done incredibly well. So once interest rates start to normalize, and and maybe after the stock market works through the issues that it's dealing with now, 60-40 could make its return. The question may not be the 60-40 model itself, but how the investor allocates that 60 and that 40 in order to stay well diversified. When we think about the idea of 60-40, is it simply being 60% stocks, 40% bonds? I, I do think it makes sense that as financial markets evolve and they're increasingly commodities or other types of alternative assets that could serve a similar role of how we think about bonds, which is providing a source of more stable, lower but more stable returns, less volatility, that you could increasingly see the the 40% of the portfolio filled not just with bonds alone, but with other types of alternative asset classes as well. If getting the balance right means seeking out new opportunities, where should investors look? That's after the break. Technology can make the world better. At UST, we're building a future where people everywhere are empowered to live better lives. It's transformation you can feel. And you don't have to do it alone. We believe in the power of technology to transform businesses and build a better world. Welcome back to the best new ideas in money. Before the break, we heard about why investors with a traditional 60-40 portfolio might need to look for some new places to put their money. One strategy that could be making a comeback, annuities. That's an insurance industry product that gives you specific payments for a set period of time or throughout your lifetime. You contribute to it, and when you decide to collect, you get regular payments. There are many different types of annuities. Some are tied to the market, which have more risk but higher potential payouts, and some are fixed at a specific amount. Professor Wade Pfau says annuities might deserve a second look. I think we're increasingly seeing the growing recognition that when it comes to funding a retirement spending goal, you have two options. You can go with the stock market and with the expectation that stocks will outperform bonds and that will allow for more spending, Or you could go with a risk pooling approach through insurance where you have those who may not end up living as long will help to subsidize the payments to those who live longer, which can help to raise the standard of living of everyone in that risk pool compared to what bonds alone are able to do. Annuities function like insurance in the sense that there is risk pooling, which means that the risk is spread across the people who buy them. Anyone who buys an annuity can earn some payout, but the people who live the longest will reap the maximum return. 
Critics of annuities say they may have limited upside and that they are taxed as regular income instead of as investment income, meaning they are usually taxed at a higher rate. I think for a long time people just viewed that it's easy for the risk premium from the stock market to outperform the annuity, either because of a view that annuities are too expensive or because of not understanding the power of risk pooling. But more and more I think we're seeing individuals coming to appreciate that no, risk pooling is actually competitive with the risk premium from the stock market. And for people who are not comfortable relying on the stock market to fund core retirement spending, there are a lot of other viable options out there, whether it's an annuity, whether it's holding individual bonds. We have a number of different retirement strategies. And ultimately, it's how do we find the right strategy for any given individual based on their preferences and, and what, what makes them comfortable. The point is to consider all the options, from stocks that pay dividends to real estate. Or maybe it's a sector that's fallen out of favor. Here's Jared Woodard from Bank of America again. Most investors today, through their regular public equity exposure, S&P 500 or, or whatever it might be, already have plenty of exposure to growth stocks, to technology, to companies that are designed to benefit from inexpensive liquidity, low inflation, and a very long runway to generate profits. Most people are underexposed to value opportunities. They're underexposed to income-paying investments, dividends especially. They're underexposed to sectors of the market that have fallen out of favor. And Woodard has one particular favorite. I was giving a talk at a university uh, earlier this year, and I, and I began by asking, you know, what's the most hated part of the market today? And without any prompting at all, most, most folks were easily you know, were able to say, well, it's energy. That sector includes primarily oil and gas, but also coal, nuclear power, and renewable energy. Energy plus materials used to be half of the S&P 500 in the middle of the 20th century. Last year, it had fallen to 7% of the market cap of the index. And, and you see now with the conflict in, in Ukraine, energy shortages in Europe and, and North America, the effects of some of the policy choices that we've, we've made collectively over the years. I think these are going to have to reverse because no matter what your politics are, whether you care a lot about resource independence, you know, energy independence, whether you care about decarbonization and green technology, it doesn't matter where on the spectrum, all of these policy goals are going to require copious quantities of raw materials. We're not giving investment advice here, but we are going to talk to someone who does his own investing. You know, they always say, well, economists aren't very good investors. That's Mark Dow, a private investor who also runs the Behavioral Macro Twitter feed. He started out as an economist working for the Treasury Department and then the International Monetary Fund. One of the things that interested me about money management was that you really had to put your money where your mouth was. Uh, it wasn't just about having, having uh, opinions. And you, in some senses, you got to test your hypothesis pretty, pretty cleanly. One of the things that jumped out at me when I first came to markets was there were a lot of guys there that were good in markets. They were good risk takers. They were good at making money for their clients, but they often did it using really bad economic rationale. And that led me to the, then it was incipient literature in behavioral finance. There really wasn't much back then. This was in the late nineties, but I tried to square what I was seeing with, with uh, how these guys were, were successful. Dow left the policy world for a hedge fund. 
So making that leap was difficult. Even if you're skeptical about market efficiency, markets when you work in them are even less efficient than you thought they were. There's just a lot more random, there's a lot more emotion, there, there's a lot more serendipity. And that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, so knowing when to turn off the economics and turn on the risk management, first of all, you had to learn how to manage risk properly. Dow says he likes the competitive aspect of investing, staying one step ahead of the market. It's a little like that joke where the two guys are camping and they see a bear come up to the camp and one guy starts to put on his tennis shoes. And he goes, dude, you can't outrun a bear. And he goes, I don't have to, I just have to outrun you. And, and that's what the markets are like. You, you don't have to make these big, bold predictions necessarily what's gonna happen, but you have to kind of look for indicators, have your scenarios ready and stay a half step ahead of, of the other guy. Bear or no bear, Dow sees value in the 60-40 concept, even if he doesn't follow it himself. Most people don't want to do or can't do what I do. It's too risky. It's too time-consuming. Uh, they want something where they can sleep at night. That you know, they want to hit singles and know if there's a big market blow-up as there has been in the last few months that they're, they're going to be okay. That, right? The, the, their account's going to be down, but it's not going to be over. My strategy is much more active, but for the most part, what I do is I have an investment portfolio that's fairly active. I mostly trade futures and I trade them fairly aggressively. That's kind of my sport. MarketWatch reporter Vivian Lu Chen thinks looking for unturned stones in the current market might not be enough to get an investor back on track. Markets are naturally optimistic. They're going to try to find good news anywhere they can they can find it, right? And they have been trying and trying and trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel in this inflation environment that we're in right now. That light at the end of the tunnel looks farther and farther away every time we like wake up in the morning. And that is the, that is the problem for the 60-40 portfolio, that it's not just a momentary problem that we're going through. It could be something that, that goes on for like years. It may even go on for a decade. Like it's anybody's guess at this point. Thanks for listening to The Best New Ideas in Money. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating or review. And if you have ideas for future episodes, drop us a line at bestnewideasinmoney at marketwatch.com. Thanks to Jared Woodard, Scott Tyrus, Wade Fowl, Mark Dow, Vivian Lu Chen, and Ellie Ismailidu. To learn more about the 6040 portfolio, head to marketwatch.com. I'm Stephanie Kelton. And I'm Charles Passy. The Best New Ideas in Money is a podcast from MarketWatch, produced by Best Case Studios. Suzanne Myers is our producer. Our associate producer is Hannah Leibowitz Lockard. The executive producer for Best Case Studios is Adam Pincus. For MarketWatch, Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer, and the producers are Meta Lutzhoft and Katie Ferguson, who also mixed this episode. Jeremy Binks is our news editor. Tim Rosten is the executive editor for MarketWatch. The Best New Ideas in Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. Stephanie Kelton is an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea.